Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Syria and Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd of his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake, for the sake of gospel, will save it. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from a cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. You know, dear ones, there's power in these words. When I read this and thought about it, that old hymn that we never sang anymore, that our forefathers used to sing with a great deal of vim, vigor, and vitality. There's power in the blood. Now in this scripture here, there is the power like you wouldn't believe. There is the power of life and the power of death. Now, you indulge me for a moment here and have your best forgiving spirit out where you can exercise it this morning. I was thinking about our situation in our class, and I thought about an old professor I had. He was one of my favorite teachers. Of course, I didn't appreciate him too much at that time, but uh, I did appreciate him. I took a course under him, and the course was Christian Ethics. Now, I never had a course outside of Greek and Hebrew that was tough to master as Christian ethics. Now you would think, well, that should be an easy course, you know. You can ace this course, Christian ethics. It even sounds sort of tame. But dear ones, I want to tell you, it's one of the most difficult courses I've ever had in college or, or in graduate school. It's a bummer. You don't want to take it and take systematic theology together, I'll tell you. Well, anyhow, the old professor came in one morning. He had a good sense of humor. The reason I loved him so. He's the one I've told you about. He had a room like this on the second floor, and his position was in the same position that this desk is, and the students were out there. And he had a window there on the second floor, and if it wasn't, things didn't go right, he threatened to go jump out the window. 
And so we hadn't been in this course too long, maybe a week or so, and he gave us a quiz test. Now you're thinking about Christian ethics. And he came in the next morning in class. He said, most of you in this class, they failed this the quiz that I gave you yesterday. And some bright student in the back of the class that spoke up said, well, professor, if you'd explained it to us a little better, maybe we'd have made a better grade. <laughs> well, you know, at that time I thought, well, you know, that sounds good. That sounds great. I'll buy into that. Yeah, half of the class failed this test on Christian ethics. Well, one person within that class said, well, they were not going to tenure the class. They dropped the class because I really don't need it to graduate. I think there was one or two more that dropped out of the class for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure what it was. But before the sun went down that night, I knew it wasn't my professor's fault that I didn't make a better grade. I did pass it, but uh, nothing to brag about. And I thought about the reason I didn't make a good grade on that uh, test. It was in the fall of the year. And I realized I'd been out rabbit hunting two or three times when I should have been hitting the books. I was thinking about our class. Dear Ron, in effect, we were given a sort of a test in some ways here in our class from time to time. And some of us come up pretty short in the class. Now I want you to think about this. What is our class motto? Kind, considerate, loving, and understanding. Now, doesn't that sound so easy? It just sort of rolls off your lips, you know, as kind, considerate, loving, and understanding. Dear ones, let me tell you something. As far as I'm concerned, that's one of the most difficult things upon the face of this God-given earth that I've ever tried to do, and that is to adhere to that motto. It is difficult to do. And those of you who have really tried it, and believe it to be the sum total of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can be the foundation on which his gospel stands. You know, I'm like uh, Ted Hightower. He used to be a great preacher here at St. Paul Methodist Church. He was a great preacher. I loved him. And I remember one time he saying to two or three of us younger guys, he said he would get up in the morning and ask the good Lord to be with him during the day and help him do the things that he ought to do. And he said, many a time he'd go to bed at night and forgive the Lord for not helping him. <laughs> you think about that, you know. Now you come to this lesson. Now, I wish I could say that I could do justice to this lesson. But, dear ones, let me tell you something. If you really think about what is here, when I tell you there's life and death involved in this scripture here, you begin to realize when you begin to look into it and begin to consider for what it really is. If you're not careful, you get in a past of over your head and I don't care how many times you can read this scripture you can take a look at it again and see something in it that you had never seen there before now we're going to stick pretty close to the scripture this morning and try to understand something of what it really has to say to you and to me today it says Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi and on the way, he asked his disciple, who do people say that I am? Now, I wonder about, Mark, what he's trying to tell us, because you look at the historical background to this scripture, and, and you think about Caesarea Philippi, two or three things come to mind real quick if you've studied any type of biblical history and know something about Caesarea Philippi. It was a very pagan city. Some of the historians tell us that in this city, that they had up on one of the hills there, they had a marble building, a beautiful building. 
it must have been. White marble had been brought in from Spain or somewhere to build this temple because the city was sort of a crossroads of trade, and they built it out of white marble. And so here is a city that was steep in pagan culture. There was something else about this city that made it sort of unique, not only that it was a trading center, but the third thing about it, it was on the border of the Jewish and Gentile country. It was a mixed population. Many Gentiles were mixed in this city of Caesarea Philippi. So it was right next, of course, to the border of a Gentile country. And so you think about, well, why did the Lord Jesus Christ come to this place to make this awesome announcement that he made? Why did he bring the disciples to this place to have them to look at the awesome realities of life? And I think that Mark is trying to tell us something about the vastness of the kingdom of God. Not only the Jewish people are supposed to be swept up in it, but also the Gentiles. And so he asked his disciples here at Caesarea Philippi, who do people say that I am? Now, this is interesting in a way, and they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah, and still others said, one of the prophets, you see. Now, who do people say that I am? Well, this is just as new as the newspaper this morning because the same question was asked here centuries and a millennium ago is one of the same question that you see asked today in many ways within our culture and within our society. One of the things that the Muslim society and what's going on between us and the Muslim, the Christians and the Muslim, this question is very prominent today within our society. Who do you say that the Lord Jesus Christ really is? Well, of course, there's many within our culture and within our society and within the world says that uh, Jesus is the noted person, that he is maybe a prophet and one that had much to say about God, but it doesn't come down to the place of where it really needs to be said. You see, these disciples were answering Jesus in a very probable way, telling him that he was John the Baptist that had been killed and and come back to life again. Because John the Baptist at this time had a very prominent following. But to really to see it for what it really is, to see that they said, well, he was Elijah. Now you must understand, as far as the prophets go, to the Jewish concept that it is Elijah that has a central place in all the prophets. You see, they're saying, this is a very great compliment, you see, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to say, well, that you're the greatest. Now, it comes down to it, though, but who do you say that I am? Now, dear ones, here's the $64,000 question. You see, I remember a man one time, he was a good man, and he had a wonderful family, but uh, he drank a little too much, and every once in a while he drank a little too much. He'd never come to see me unless he'd had a couple of drinks. I don't know what that's supposed to say to me, but uh, he would come around and we would talk. I tried to get him to see that he needed to make some kind of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember on one occasion he said, well, my mother really believes in Christ. You see, it doesn't make any difference what type of a family you come from and how they believe in Christ, whether your father did, your mother did, and it's important to them. But as far as you're concerned, now Jesus put it right here, you see, to his disciples when he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Dear ones, here is either life or death. 
here is eternal and answering this question will save are you going to spend eternity whether it be eternal separation from God or it will be eternally with God here it is right here and you see here Jesus is leading and in some ways you might say he's forcing his disciples to really take a look at the situation where he is at this very moment Mark has this within the middle of Jesus' ministry, you see. And I think he's telling us that it is at this point that he's leading his disciples to make up their feeble mind. Who am I really? Who do you say that I am? This is the important question, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, now it sounds so easy that Peter makes a statement. Peter is always the mouthpiece for the disciples. I like Peter because... In many ways, he's making statements that he can't live up to. How many of you have ever made a statement, sort of a bragging way, that you can't live up to, you know? <clears throat> sort of an embarrassing situation. Well, you remember Peter told Jesus, wherever you go, I'm going to go with you even to death. Well, there's Peter here. He sees something in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we must see that what Peter is saying here is not because he is looking at necessarily what Jesus is doing and what he has done. Not in this situation. Salvation is always a leap of faith, dear one. You cannot reason yourself into salvation. You can reason yourself to where you can look at the facts and see. But it comes to a place where you've got to make this commitment that is done in faith. Your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ is one made by faith. And here Peter has said it. I'm not quite sure Peter really realized what he was saying, but it is said, and Jesus, uh, of course, confirms in a way what Peter has said when he said he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Now, when Peter said, you are the Messiah, now look at the situation for what it really is, the historical concept here again of the Messiah. The Jewish people were looking for someone that was going to come out of the past, like Elijah, this type of a situation, only more so, where he was going to be in charge of all of the world power. He was going to have the power to free, in this situation, the Romans. He was going to free their country from the Roman oppressor, you see. And so through history, the Jewish people in the Old Testament always looked for the Messiah is going to come and he's going to come with awesome, not only political power, but he's also going to come with awesome physical power. He's going to have the means and the way in which the oppressor will be thrown out and a new order, a new government will be brought in and it'll be the government of the kingdom of God, you see. And the disciples were looking in terms of the fact that this was going to happen and this way, true to the Jewish belief, this is why they thought that when Jesus set up his kingdom here on earth, they were struggling over who was going to sit on the right hand and on the left hand side of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were in good company thinking about the concept of what Jesus would do when he got here. And this is the Messiah, you see. They had a false concept of the Messiah, you see. Now here's where Jesus redefined the concept of the Messiah. Now if we read this, sometimes we read it and we don't really pick it up. Then he began to teach them and here he is redefining what and who the Messiah really is. Now Jesus tells us, point blank, 
who the Messiah really is, who he really is, and here it is. Then he began to teach them the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Now, you can understand why Peter says here. Now, he said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, you can understand why Peter did this. This is a very human quality. Peter had the concept here of what he had been taught from his youth up by those who talked about God. And Peter took him aside, acting upon what he had learned from the very beginning, and said, in effect, that you should talk like this. You shouldn't talk about death and dying and this kind of stuff. And then this awesome thing comes out, 33rd verse. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. It's difficult for us sometimes to recognize Satan. We don't think in terms of that anymore. We look at a situation and we see the good that is in it and what ought to be and what should be. And then we fail to be motivated to do what we know that really ought to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. Here the Lord Jesus Christ has redefined the old concept of the Messiah and telling his disciples what the Messiah is really going to be like. If you want to look at the turning point in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, right here, right now, is where it took place. He was never the same after this. He was never the same in relation to his disciples after this. He was never the same in his approach to life after this. Because when he brought his disciples to the place and redefined for them who the Messiah really was, you see, then he was ready to move on to the next step in what he had to do, that is to make his way to Jerusalem and to submit himself to the people there to do with him what they wanted to do. Now, the concept here of the Lord Jesus Christ redefining what the Messiah would be like and was going to do, we can see that Peter misunderstood and Jesus had to tell him what life was really going to be all about. Now, you think about this too, Peter's concept of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe we have to speculate about this, what Peter was thinking about. Who would put his life in danger by doing what Jesus would do? Peter knew, too, I think right off, that if he went to Jerusalem, what was going to happen to him? And so Peter wanted to tell him that you just don't go there because some bad things are going to happen to you, you see. Who would put his life in danger fully and completely by doing what Jesus did. It's no wonder that Peter tried to get him not, but we want to always remember too that how the Lord Jesus Christ designated Peter as being part of Satan. You see, we have to make up our feeble mind. You see, about what direction we want to go and what price we want to pay for it. You see, the question that Jesus asked here 
is not a very simple question, to say the least. When he asked them, but who do you say that I am? The truth of it is, it's a very difficult road, you see. Now he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny and take up their cross and follow me. Now, there's two things about denial. One part of it is bad, because you see there's a concept of denial, which things can happen to us or we can do things that are so bad that we won't recognize them. We deny that we've ever been part of, there's ever been part of us, and so what we do in this type of a situation, you alienate yourself from self. People who are in denial about life, what they basically have done has separated themselves from the inner self that lives within our soul, that lives within each one of us. Now, says he's going to deny himself and take up the cross, take up their cross. Now, notice dear one, it says their cross. Now, we've got to understand what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about a cross, too. You see, people from time to time have heard him say something that has happened to him, and this is my cross to bear. And that's not the cross that Jesus is talking to. You may do justice and honor to it and carry it well and do a good job by whatever difficulty, whatever hardship has come to you. But you see, a cross of the Lord Jesus Christ he's talking about here is a cross that you do not have to pick up. It is not something forced on you. It is a decision that you make. Not an emotional decision. It may start out that way. But the bedrock of it is a decision that you have made in the pit of your soul. And this is what I'm going to do regardless of what the cost might be. You have deliberately picked it up. You did not have to do it. You see. And this is what Jesus is talking about. There comes a place when in our life and we think in terms of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain decisions that we have got to make. And... It may start with an emotional situation, but it comes down to it. It's the bedrock on which your soul rests. Here's where I make a decision that I am going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a type of cross that he's talking about here, you see. And we pick up so many times stuff on TV and around that the Christian life is the easy life to live. That if you're really where you ought to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, everything's going to go well, everything's going to be wonderful, everything's going to be fine. Well, that's not the way that it really is. That's not it. What does this cross stand for? It stands for death. It stands for suffering. It stands for pain and agony, you see. Everything may not be well if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior Lord. Everything may not go well for you. You may find that you're in the midst of a most difficult situation that you've ever been in. He's talking about a cross on which he's going to die, you see. He's talking about something that later on brings life, but he's talking about something that brings death here to you, see. Now, I like Mark. He moves fast. He says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led up to a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Dear one, this is something that is absolutely amazing and astounding. To understand this and to see it for what it really is, it's an awesome thing to say the least. 
and was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white. The reason they were white? Because it had two signs. It was purity, and it was power, you see. Dazzling, dazzling, dazzling white. Such as one on earth could not bleach. Okay. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. Why Elijah? Well, I've already told you why Elijah. Elijah is the centerpiece of the Old Testament in a way of prophets. I love this character. I love Elijah. To call him out as a being the one that would come and be on the mountain with the Lord Jesus Christ, I can understand why. Here's a guy that was so in tune with God that he could seal up the heavens for a long period of time and no rain or dew would hit the earth. Here's a man that stood on the mountain and had the Baal prophets come up and he is the one that called down far from heaven and took care of that situation. Here's the man that stood before Ahab. Ahab was a mealy mouth, henpecked type of a pinhead. <laughs> and he stood before him and called the hour and the day. I want you to notice something here that is so interesting to me. When I read this and think about it, there's still hope for me. Now think about this prophet that was able to do all these awesome things. And when Jezebel heard about what he had done to her prophets, she sent him a note and said that I'm going to do to you what you did to them before the sun goes down. And who can tell me what Elijah did? He ran clear out. He just didn't run. He ran clear out of the country. He left his own country, you know, and took off and thanked God for God and for the crows. They fed him. God has his way and restored this man, and Elijah was there with Moses. And it's interesting to know who is listed first, old Elijah, not Moses. And Moses, the awesome person that stood before God and received the law and changed the human culture forever upon the face of this God-given earth. It is Moses that is a giver of the law and has predicated the existence of this country that you and I hold dear to our heart. Because you see, what this principle that this country is based on is the law of Moses, you see. But Elijah and Moses were there. Then Peter said, to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Uh, let us make three dwellings, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And we'll just stay here. It's a wonderful experience. Here you're having this fantastic, emotional mountain experience, and you want to settle down and stay here. How many of you have ever had a wonderful, fantastic, emotional experience, and you just like to linger here for a while? But it's always the same. You cannot hold an emotional experience. They always dissipate, you see. And this, Peter was caught up in it. He was caught up in this, just like you and I would be, and being the mouthpiece for the disciples. He says here, make a dwelling for you and for us and for Moses and Elijah. And notice what Mark does here. He sort of apologized for Peter. He really does. He did not know what to say for they were terrified. Now that's an apology. He's apologizing for Peter saying what he did. Now, it's interesting. When I think about it, I'm right here too. You see, I get caught up in emotional things. 
And sometimes these emotional things cause me to do some things that a little later on, when better judgment takes place than I ever think about it, that I wish it hadn't happened that way. But being emotional beings that we are, we got to allow for that, you see. This is not so bad. And now, no way you can take this other than Mark is sort of apologizing for Peter saying what he said. But Peter's heart was right. He wanted to have this wonderful thing and just keep it the way it was. Who wants to go back down in the valley where it's rough and tumble? Who wants to go back down in the valley where there's greed and lust and where there's hate and greed? And Who wants to go back down in the valley and face this type of situation? Would you like with Peter say, let's just build us a house up here and stay here forever? Oh, I'd like that. But that's not life, you see. We have to get back down in the valley where people live and where you and I are supposed to do our best work, you see. Now, he said this seventh verse. I want you to take a look at this because there's something here that's more than meets the eye. Then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Now, you see, dear ones, in our situation, we would think in terms of, when we think about a cloud, we think of something that's, that's sort of bad. A cloud is hanging over us. We're in the dark. We shun this, everything that is within our power, to shun these clouds and these dark periods within our life. Mark, what are you trying to tell us? Not ever cloud that clouds your life and that ever dark place that clouds your life is not necessarily something that is awful and something is bad though you may suffer in the midst of all this could it be that this is the cloud from which God is trying to tell us that this is my son now you trust him you see you trust him now I think about these disciples of long ago and I think about what they faced after Jesus left. And I believe that Peter, James, and John, this is one experience that they could look back on when things were difficult, when they were in trouble, in prison, and being put upon, and being neglected, and shunned, and rejected. That they could look back to this time and say, yes, I know in their own heart, mind, and soul, Yes, I know, but I remember the day I stood on the mountain with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, dear ones, that's not too far off target. You remember the Apostle Paul when he was standing before King Agrippa and making it an offense of not only for his Lord, but for his very life, you know. He was making this defense. The chips were down, and he had to come up with something and who can tell me basically what Paul said to King Agrippa? When things were really hard and difficult for Paul, Paul always referred back to this one thing that happened to him. And the one thing that happened to him, yes, he could have said to King Agrippa, yes, King Agrippa, I know all this other secular stuff. But one day on a Damascus road, I saw the light. Now, this is what the experiences that these disciples had. 
This is the experience that Paul had. And if you will look in your life like you ought to in relation to our lesson here and our commitment and dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ, certainly by this time that you can look back in your life and say, when chips are down and things are difficult and everything's hard and it becomes rough and you're in the midst of a cloud, you can say, yes, but one day on the Damascus Road, I saw the light. Peter, James, and John could say when things got tough for them, yes, but one day I stood on the mountain with the Lord Jesus Christ and saw Elijah and Moses. So let it happen. Let it happen. Let Jesus Christ be praised. He is the one that we have decided and cast our lot with, and we have said that he is the one that will carry us through. So we come to the place where we say we have made up our mind. We have made up our mind. My help is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, I trust the past, the present, and the future to him. And when I really look at the situation, this is a beautiful day for our Father. Help us, first of all, to believe it and help us to see it today. For we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 